How's it going? Is everybody good? You're good, right? So Christy and I have been so looking forward to coming and hanging out with you guys. It's been so good just to be welcomed, uh, even with the Powers jersey, um, to hang out with you guys and see these things. Wait a second. Does it sound weird to you guys? I mean, for some of us, we have poor hearing, so we're like, whatever, right? But some of us are like, something isn't happening just right now. And some of us, it's bothering you so much. You want to jump up and run into the back, even though you know nothing about IT, and try to fix it, right? Okay, that's awesome. Thanks. That was, that was on purpose. That wasn't by accident. <laughs> so I want to save in the person in the back. But, you know, I realize that uh, as I think of my life, so this is a sermon for me, okay? This, I need to hear this more than you guys do. Um, and that's why I'm sharing it, because this is what God's doing in my life. And you might think, well, he's weird. We don't ever want him back. That's okay. That's what God's doing in my life. Because I realize, you know, sometimes when our words and our actions don't match up, And when that happens, it becomes really awkward. And people look at you like, wow, okay, they say this, but they do that. What's going on here? Um, But here's the thing, guys. What's even worse is when our words and our actions don't match up to God's word. Because that's when it gets really bad. Because there's a lot of times in the church and in the community Um, where people's lives don't sync up, even though they say they have a faith or they say they're a believer. Um, They don't don't sync up with God's word. There are a lot of times in my life that my words and actions don't sync up with God's word. And so what I have is I have a couple passages that I go to, and I I call them sinking passages. Not thinking, but sinking And these passages kind of help me think about um, what God says and what he wants us to do. And then it helps me compare my life to see, am I really doing what God calls me to do? And so uh, in my weirdness, um, because I'm concerned, I'm concerned for the church, not this church, but all churches, that uh, we are losing some of the power of the gospel and some of the beauty of Christ um, because we say one thing, but we act differently to our friends. And then our friends look at us and go, well, I can do that because, and I don't even have to have faith because I'm doing the exact same thing you're doing. So I want to take a look at a sinking passage. And it's just, so where I want to go with this, I want to look at this passage that Graham just read. I want to go through it verse by verse and just explain some things to you and things I'm learning. And then I want to make three or four observations and then application. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm a teacher. I love positive affirmation, uh, even in multicultural. Does that make sense? Just go, yeah, that makes sense. Does that make sense? Awesome. That's great. So that's what we want to do here. So we're going to look at the gospel of Luke chapter 7 and just see what does God's word have to do with us and what do we need to to struggle with that and how do we change our life. Remember, uh, Luke is one of my favorite gospels. And so in Luke 5, God uh, Jesus is on the Sermon on the Mount. He gives us, Jesus teaches some really strange things. He teaches some things uh, for the first time in the Sermon on the Mount, like it's better to give than 
to receive. It's better to be meek. It's better to be mild. It's better to be broken than to be strong and powerful. And so he's teaching this, and this, all these people are hearing these things. And then he comes back into his hometown of Capernaum, and he starts to teach, and he's invited to this dinner. And this dinner is really important. It's like one of three dinners that Jesus gets invited to with, with the, the establishment. And so whenever... You know, if, if someone were, I don't know who you'd want to invite to your house, right? But they invite Jesus because he's the cool, hot teacher. If we were living here, my, my wife would say, let's invite Hugh Jackman to our house or something like that because he's the most important person in her eyes in Australia or however we want to do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing her underneath the bus already, so I'm sorry about that. Um, but it's important when we come to these passages that we look at these passages and we ask some questions. So I'm going to be a teacher, and we're going to help us ask some questions, okay? So one of the questions you want to ask always when you come to God's Word is you want to say, hey, in light of Jesus' culture, in his position, what was Jesus expected to say or do in this passage? Okay, so in light of the culture and everything, so you have to understand the culture, you got to think about what's going on in the culture and all this stuff. So it's all the high, high and mighty uh, Bible scholars are there. So what was he expected to say and do in this passage? Um, the, the second thing you want to ask is, what do people expect him, or how do they expect him to react? What was he expected to say and do, and then how was he expected to react in this? Because that's really important, because if you don't talk about that or think about that, you miss, you miss the whole point of Jesus' teaching. Because Jesus is always acting and reacting and saying and doing things that no one expected him to do. And then the third question you want to ask is, uh, how, what does he actually do? What does he do? And this passage is really important because it's full of cultural and historical and theological and, and personal things. And so I just want to walk us through it, okay? So we're just going to walk through it really briefly. And if you have questions later on, we can talk about it. Um, and I, I use NASB because that's what I was in, indoctrinated with at DTS when I went through there. But NIV, ESV, they're all awesome. What's most important is that you read it, whatever translation you have. You just, you just read it and let God's word soak through you, right? Okay, so verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees, and this, the Pharisees, the words, they would be the, uh, the words actually mean separated ones. So they're actually separated from society um, and culture because they're so holy. It was requesting him, Jesus, to dine with them. And so this, was, this would have been a Sabbath meal. Jesus probably was the youngest person at the table because Jesus is only about 30. And so you would have this table that would be like a rectangle laid out here, and you would just kind of lay down. And I'm, I'm not very... Uh, flexible or bendable. I never have been, even as an athlete. And so I would, you'd be leaning on your arm, and then your feet, hopefully, are behind you. But in my case, they'd be right in front of someone else's face. And then they would just kind of go all the way around, and you'd just be sitting there eating. So you'd be, you'd be eating with your hands, leaning on your arm, and you're looking at the person across from you and looking down there. Um, but it was just, it's just, that's how they sat. And so he's sitting there, and um, they wanted him to come because he's the hottest new teacher, and they're reclining in verse 37. And there was a woman in the city in, who was a sinner. We don't know a lot about her, but we know that she's notorious. Everybody knew her because of her actions. And she learned that Jesus re was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's home. And she brought this alabaster vial of perfume. Now, there's a lot of things we could unpack here. Like, how did a sinner get into a Pharisee's home? It would never have happened. Um, guards and everything else, guest only. And so you, as you read it, you know, this is a trap. They invited Jesus because they want to trap him. And they want, to, they want to put him in an awkward situation. They want to see what he's going to do. And so this lady comes with this alabaster vial. And these alabaster vials are about that big. If you go with us to Israel in a couple of years, you'll be able to buy one. They're still around. And they had a little opening. And you'd open it up. And you'd put some nard in it. Or you'd put some perfume in it. And then she'd wear it around her neck. 
And as she went through her day and she sweated, uh, the heat would cause the stuff in it to sweat out. It was very porous. And so it would, it would spread all over her, the perfume. And it was a tool of her trade. So it was, it was basically, I don't know if I can say this word, but can I say stink in, in church? So she, uh, this, was the, this, was the, this was her tool of her trade. She attracted gentlemen by the smell. Ooh, that smells really good. But then also she hid her stink because they didn't take a lot of baths. So it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a tool of her trade. And she brings this alabaster vial of perfume in. And so she's standing behind him. So Jesus is sitting here looking at Simon. And she's weeping and she's crying and she's wetting his feet in tears. And she just keeps wiping his tears. Uh, and then she does something that's culturally totally inappropriate. Uh, she, she lets her hair down. A woman would have never done that. The, only, the hair was their beauty. It was like one of the most precious things for a Jewish lady. And so you only let that down um, in front of your husband at nighttime. So it was very precious. And so she's doing something that's totally countercultural, totally is blowing out all the norms. Everybody's watching, and they're watching to see how Jesus is going to react to this. And so in verse 38, she's standing behind him. She's weeping. We're, we're told she actually breaks the vial. She breaks the vial, and she pours the vial out on Jesus' feet. And she began to wet his feet with her tears, wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing his feet, and anointing them with perfume. Verse 39. Now, Simon, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so this is all a turtle. He says, if Jesus was a prophet, if this man was a prophet. So Jesus is taking a hit for this woman, right? His, his character is on the line, his identity. He's taking his hit. If, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. She is a sinner. So how does Simon see the woman? As a person or as an action? Come on, guys. She's an action, right? She's a sinner, right? He doesn't see her as a person. He just sees her as her actions. She's a sinner. And if he knew something, if he knew that, he would never, he would have jumped up, he would have thrown stuff at her, he would be yelling, he'd be cursing her out, all the other guys would curse her out, they would pull her out of the dinner, and they would probably stone her right there in the street. That's probably what would have happened in the culture. Uh, but Jesus doesn't do that. And so Jesus, hearing this because he's God, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now in Hebrew, that's an idiom, and it's never a good thing. And when someone says, hey, I have something to say to you, what it means is, I'm going to say some really hard things to you. You're probably going to get offended, but you need to hear it. So it's like when you're a little kid and you make a mistake and your, your mom comes up to you and says, why did you do that? You know, whatever you say, you're going to get in trouble, right? It's going to be, you're dumb, you're stupid, don't do that. You know, you're, you're at this un, untenable position. But he says this to Simon, and Simon says it kind of in a flippant way. He says, yeah, just say it, teacher. And so Jesus tells this parable. A money lender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. So let's just say for our sake, one owed 5 million Aussie and one owed 50,000 Aussie. Verse 42. And they were unable to repay. In, in, in the Aramaic and Hebrew, it's like it's impossible. Impossible task. And so the master graciously forgave them both. The wording there is he, he ate the debt. He canceled the debt. Um, and so he graciously forgave them both. So which of them loved him more? So in Hebrew, it's really interesting. There's not really necessarily a word to say thank you. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's almost always done through actions, through love, through caring, through prayer, or something like that. It's, so which one is more thankful? And Simon says in verse 43, maybe, I suppose, the one who he forgave more. And he said, hey, you judged correctly. Application point. 
So it's a story, right? So whenever Jesus tells a story, he's saying, hey, this is important. And you and I should be thinking, who am I in this story? Who, 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 who am I represented to? What, who, who is there? Application point, verse 44. Turning toward the woman, he said to her, Simon, do you see this woman? So how does Jesus see her, as a person or as an action? Person, right? She's not a sinner. She's a woman, right? Do you see this woman? Um, he, and he says, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. Now, everybody at the table is hearing this, and they would have been so surprised that Jesus didn't have his feet watered. I mean, because that's what you do. You're walking around with sandals, your feet are stinky, and the first thing you did is you walked into a house, and either you or a slave washed your feet. But it's, it's a test, right? He wants to see what Jesus is going to do, so he doesn't, he doesn't do that. So he, he fulfills or he doesn't fulfill the one requirement of being a host, which is taking care of your neighbor when they come into the house. And so he doesn't do that. And he says, you didn't water my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Again, that was just craziness. You gave me no kiss. Now, everybody watching that would have, would have wondered, why didn't Simon kiss Jesus? Because he's the esteemed leader, right? If, if Hugh Jackman came into our house, my wife would want to give him a kiss. <laughs> but he doesn't do that, which would have been a which would have been a huge faux pas socially in that stuff. I love you. I'm sorry about this. Uh, but he says, but since I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say her sins. The word there is hoba. It means like debt and sin. They were many, but they have been forgiven. For she loved much. But who is forgiven little? loves a little. So again, her actions aren't what forgive her. Her actions are a response to hearing of grace and love. And Jesus is really clear in his teaching there. The actions didn't save her. The actions are her response. So somewhere in the past, I don't know where or when, she heard Jesus teaching and it was about the gospel. It was about grace. It was about forgiveness. It's about a holy God who's coming to an unholy people, and there's nothing we can do to commend ourselves to him, even though how hard we try to work, we're never going to work to get rid of this massive debt because we'll always have that debt because somebody has to eat that debt. The debt is either eaten by us or it's either eaten by God. And so somewhere in the past couple days, she heard this message that changed her life, and Jesus sees her there. For this reason, I say to you, her sins that are many have been forgiven, for she loved many much but he who is forgiven little loves little. Verse 48, then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And everybody was kind of freaking out, like, what is going on? Because he's affirming her present state that she's, she's no longer a sinner. She's been forgiven. And she's responding in that way. Those reclining at the table began to say to themselves, who is this man who forgives sin? Now, this is a great thing. You should write this on your Bible or on your, on your, on your desk. And that's the first thing you should read every morning is, who is Jesus? Because how you answer that is going to determine how you live that day. And people are struggling with trying to figure out who Jesus is because they're seeing all these crazy things going on here. And then in verse 50, he says to the woman, hey, your faith, not your actions, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so there's this assurance that she's saved. 
And I keep coming back to verse 47, and I think about that for my heart. He who is forgiven little loves little. Or I could say, uh, he who's forgiven little praises little. Or he who forgives little blesses little. Or he who's forgiven little sacrifices little. Or he who's forgiven little glorifies little. Or he who's forgiven little serves little. Or he who's forgiven little prays little. Or he who's forgiven little loves little. All those fit in. And when I read this passage, I'm like, man, God, please forgive me. Because I have to take all of those. Yes, 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 yes. So this passage talks about debt, and there's a couple things I want us to think about, and so I'm just going to throw them out there. The passage teaches that everyone has debt. And the Bible calls this debt, sin and debt rolled together, um, and, it, uh, and it defines sin. So I'm just going to say this is what sin is, and you might have your own definition of sin, but for, for our sermon, I'm going to say sin is a desire to live independently of God. Sin is a desire to live independently of God. And the Bible says that this sin builds up this massive debt in our life and that we're all debtors. Uh, the word he uses here means, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean doing the wrong thing, it, but it can mean not doing the wrong thing or might mean not doing the right thing. But the Bible says that we're all born into this debt and this debt is spiritual. It keep, makes us spiritually dead. Uh, this debt makes us helpless. This debt makes us powerless. This debt makes us enemies of God. Everybody has sin. The second thing this passage says is that we often have very different views of sin in our life than God does. I mean, just ask your kids one day, hey, who's worse off? The person is drowning in 500 feet of water or the person is drowning in 50 feet of water? Your kids are going to say, well, the person is drowning in 50 feet of water. Well, who's worse off? The person is going to drown in 50 feet of water or 20 feet of water? The person who's drowning in 50 feet of water is way, they're way off. Because we like to compare. <laughs> and we like to say, hey, I'm not as bad as that person. But the passage says that we... We all have this debt. It, it, it's all going to kill us. We're, we're all in trouble. And, and this word in debt for God's culture and kingdom means that it can never just go away. I know Americans, we think debt can go away. We can just buy things and do things. And eventually, it's just going to take care of. Well, who's going to take care of it? Well, somebody's going to take care of it. But the, the scripture says that's just not true, that there's always somebody who has to take care of it. And so the parable says the master comes in and he eats the debt and he takes care of it ultimately on the cross. And when we read this parable, we realize that the woman, she understands that. She understands her sin. She understands her debt. She understands that the only way it's going to happen is because of Jesus. But Simon, Simon doesn't understand it. And so the parable tells us it doesn't really matter how much debt you have, but what matters is that you're aware of it. And I think there are many people in our churches that are not aware of it. Because if we were, we wouldn't run so quickly to sin. We wouldn't run to the things that so quickly captivate us, the biles that we have in our life. Because if we really saw sin the way God saw it, we would, we would, we would run from it. We would be like the lady. But too often, um, I'm like Simon. So the scripture says that there are two different ways to react to sin and debt. 
So you have Simon in this story. He's a law keeper. He's outwardly good. He's upright. He's righteous. He keeps the law. He fasts three times a day. He prays. He, he always is in church. He's always on the worship team. He never misses small group. Uh, but what the passage says is he's not really there for Jesus. He's there for the things that Jesus will give him. He, he wants to use Jesus, but he doesn't really want, to want Jesus. He wants to control God, but he doesn't really want God. He wants the stuff that God will give them, but they don't want God. They, they want to be God. And I think that's a struggle for all of us here, if we're honest. Because we see sin differently. And we see debt differently. And we're more like Simon than the woman. I mean, the woman, on the other hand, she's, she's unnamed, but she's, she's bad reputation, but she's out of control. She's anything but in control. And she's rushing to Jesus because she heard that message of the gospel earlier, and she knew on the Sermon on the Mount or wherever it was that there was no way that she could be redeemed on her own. This woman lived in a culture where there was no hope of her being redeemed because the church made it too hard. The synagogue had too many rules. You had to believe this and this and this and do this and do this and do that and be here and do this and do this and do this and do this. Sometimes our churches are like that. But when she heard Jesus speak and she heard of grace, she understood mercy. And she came to him not because of what she could do, not because of what she could get, but she just knew she needed Jesus. Simon came to Christ in a way that cost him nothing. And you see that at the banquet. He didn't do anything that he should have done. But she came with everything, total submission. I mean, it's crazy. I don't know if you ever think about this because she honors Jesus in a, an amazing way. She takes this vial, which is probably the most expensive thing she has. It's a thing that is her identity that covers her up. And she basically breaks it and pours it at Jesus' feet. And what she's doing there, what that symbolizes is that she's never going to go back. She has a new master. So she's, going, she's leaving her old way, and she's, she's, she's coming to him. And so she gives those things that are precious to her to him to use. So here's the question. We're getting close to the end. I know some of you are like, okay, what is this going to add? Here's one question. What is the alabaster flask in your life? What is the thing that you hold on to because it's precious? What is the thing that you hold on to so that when people look at it, they go, oh, wow, awesome? What is the thing that you do and you hold on to that covers your stink, your shame? For some of us, it might be our stuff. For some of us, it might be a reputation. For some of us, it might be our competency. So for some of us, it might be our education. For some of us, it might be our money. So for some of us, it might be our family. 
But the question we have to ask ourselves as we come to this parable is, have we ever really given those up to Jesus? Or do we keep them in our pocket because we like to pull them out because they smell really good and they're fun? See, Simon didn't understand sit in debt, and so he withholds himself. He withholds everything. But the woman comes, and she just, she just gives everything to him as a response. And, and it's really interesting because Scripture always says that love is always a response to love. We love first because he loved us. And the woman knew this because her sins and her debt were so costly. She knew that Jesus had to do this. And so Simon, he came, and he's religious. And religious people like to use God, and they like to get the things of God, but they don't want God. And she came because... She knew her brokenness, and she needed grace and mercy, and so she surrenders everything to him. Does that make sense? Um, so it seems to me if I really, so I'm just going to be very honest here and open. Um, it seems to me if I really understood this passage, if I really understood this passage, I, I would worship differently. Um, I, I would worship, my, my worship would be a reflection of who Jesus is and what he's done and just mercy and grace that he's poured out for me and that I cannot do anything to come to him. I, I would worship differently and I would worry less about what other people think about how I worship. You think about that lady when she gave up, I mean, she, like she, that'd be like a policeman giving up his gun and saying, hey, I'm yours. Or it'd be like a doctor giving up his scalpel. Or be like a teacher giving up her pencils. Something that represents their identity and who they are. And, and, and she just came and she said, hey, it's you. It's no longer you. And, and so I think if I understood that, I would do the same thing. So here's a question. How is your worship? If I were to follow you around and watch you worship the Lord this week, would you look more like Simon? Cool, reserved, got your act together, got everything you need? Or do you look more like her? It seems to me, if I understood this passage, that my sin and my debt in Christ's grace, I think I would view my time differently. I think I'd view my stuff differently. I think I'd view my job differently. I think I'd view my money differently. I think if I really understood this passage and what Christ has done for me and for us, I think I'd be more generous. Because we worship a God who is so generous through his son. I think I would give God my flask instead of trying to hide them. And I don't know what your flask are. Only you know what your flask are. And my prayer is this whole time you're listening that the Holy Spirit's talking to you if you're his child. And he's saying, hey, you know what? You probably need to do better with this. Or, you know, there's an area in your life you really haven't given up control yet. And, you know, you can trust me because I've given you everything. So I'm not going to say this or that or this. That's between you and the Lord. But my prayer is that you would work that out because I'm, I'm always working that out. And I'm always having to ask for, for, for uh, I'm always having to confess and ask for forgiveness. And I'm always having to repent of my selfishness because so much more often I'm like Simon than her. But if I really understood this passage, I would take those things and I would give it away to him. And I would understand what it means to sink my life 
in my words more to the beauty of Christ. I think I would be less in control and I would respond more to grace and to love. I know that I would love better. I know that we would love better if we really understood that. To whom much is forgiven, or he who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven much loves much. Can you repeat that with me? He who's forgiven much loves much. He who's forgiven much loves much. Whether you're a rule keeper like Simon or you're a rule breaker like the woman, the passage is really clear. Our only hope is an awesome God. Will you come to him? Will you surrender to him? Will you trust him day by day by day? Coming to the Lord in the gospel isn't just a one-time event. And I know there's a lot of people in church that believe that. But scripture is pretty clear that moment by moment we come to him and we submit and we confess and we repent and we believe and we have people around us who help us do that also. My prayer for us as a church that as we do that, we would be different. Our neighborhoods would be different. Adelaide would be different because a group of people met a savior and heard about mercy, love, and grace. They realize there's no way they can work to get it. But they have a God who loves them so much, he just gives it to them. They just need to accept it. Will you accept it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word that is living and active. Um, even as I continue to think about this passage, I realize my heart and how much I need your mercy and grace. I realize there's two types of people in this room. There's Simon's and there's the woman. And I pray for both of them that they would see the beauty of a son on a cross who dies a sinless, perfect death and is risen again so that we might become your children one more time. Pray for us as a church um, that we would be a church that would love people well, that we wouldn't be like the Pharisees that would prevent people from coming, but that we would say the grace and mercy and love of God is deeper than any sin or well or path that we have to cross over. Help us to be a people that love people well and see the beauty of your son every day. And I pray for Adelaide. They need a savior. And as I was talking last night, we were talking about some things going on and the person just said truth. They, they gospeled me and they said, hey, we all know that the only hope is Jesus. So Lord, we come before you 
asking and answering the question, who is this man who can take away our sins? May we be a people who live on mission and point with joy and graciousness every day as we fall more in love with him. We love you, and we desperately need you. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.